The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Today we brought someone on to talk about some of the fears that you might have around money and to remove some of the complexities that cause you to not take control of your financial situation. In the description, there'll also be a link to our guest's call, so feel free to go and check out that. And let's get into the episode. Many of us, or many of the clients that I work with, can have very stressful relationships with money, as all of us can find at different points, especially in the economic climate we're in today, real, real difficulty understanding the complexities and so many insecurities we have where it has big consequences to our health, our relationships and and everything else beyond that. So I wanted to bring someone on today who could maybe talk about more of the tangible, specific, actionable steps that you can take with your money, not just in terms of the mental perspective, which we'll talk about today, but actually really understand, well, what can I do from tomorrow and the day after? Something I can put into practice which is going to make me feel like the future is going to be okay. So Andy, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. And I'd love to start with the following question, which is we all want to improve our situation with our money and our relationship with money, right? We all want that. And yet so few of us actually go out and learn about money, learn the skills, take the time. So I'd love to ask you, what was what was the, the moment? What was the situation that got you really passionate about learning about money? David, thank you for the opportunity. I'm so excited to have this conversation. For me, it was very stark. I was 21 years old. I had gotten out of high school. I was playing drums in some bands here locally, and I wanted to move to Nashville, Tennessee, where all the music uh, musicians go to live and you know really make it. And no one else was quite as committed as I was. So in lieu of finding a job and a career, um, I ended up joining the United States Coast Guard at 21 years old. And in doing so, they gave me a $4,000 bonus. And that was a big chunk of money for a 21-year-old Andy Hoffman. And (laughs) it just slipped through my fingers very quickly. I laughed that I had an electronic toothbrush to show for it. It was like something that stood the test of time for me for a while. And um, I, I also joked that like any normal person, I went into the bookstore straight away and bought a book on personal finance. And so I think, come to find out years later, most people probably don't have that same reaction. So I ended up buying this book. Uh, it's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have read it. Uh, and that sent me straight down the rabbit hole. So from there, I just began devouring everything I possibly could about money. And that sent me on this kind of bumpy ride for the next, I don't know, 15 years uh, to learn everything I can about money. I've, I'm really, you know, you, you put, this may be not the question you want to answer, but I'm desperate to know what you spent that 4,000 on. <laughs> uh, at 21, I moved away from home for the first time, a few states away, uh, about eight hour drive and uh, probably a lot of alcohol and <laughs> going out with the guys. I bought a flat screen TV for the barracks and um, oh, that's nice. see, probably a video or like a computer, some things like that, that you know, sounded like a good investment at the time and quickly, you know, have a pretty short shelf life uh, 
as far as long-term things go. In all seriousness, no, that you know, lots of lots of people will have bought books on finance. I'm I'm going through a particular, a very long, dense book on on finance right now, as as a lot of them are, and, and yet, as you as you quite rightly said, most people don't have that reaction, right? They don't have that thing that lights them up, right? When it comes to money, maybe because of the complexity or how dense it is. So in amongst that, that book had inspired you. What was it about the book or what was it about that moment that everything sort of lined up for you? Because as I said, lots of people, that doesn't happen for them with money. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think growing up in a house where my family didn't know much about money or investing or anything like that. My dad worked night shift at a uh, tire plant called General Tire here in the States. And so they would go on strike almost every three years like clockwork. And the last strike ended up being like 364 days. And so wow. he ended up finding you know a different job. And that was a big hurdle for our family. And I think I just, I knew that I wanted something different for my life. I know uh, my dad told me, you know, I've got to go to college and all these things, which I, I never fully completed my four-year uh, degree. So I think for me, this felt like maybe a possible escape route to learn a skill and kind of change my own lot in life. And I don't know as a 21 year old that I had these preconceived notions of, you know, we're fixed and we can't do much to change it or that, you know, with, um, you know, understanding of psychology and that, you know, our brains are very pliable and all of that. I don't know that I was quite that deep as a 21 year old, but um, I knew that um, there's something to be learned and that I could hopefully sharpen my skills in the finance world and at least make things a little bit smoother in my life. Okay. And, and you said it was like an escape a potential escape route for you. Do you feel like you escaped? Let, sitting here with you now, the answer is equivocally yes. Um, I, I feel like having conversations like this is a dream come true to me. If I talked to 21-year-old Andy and said that you know, I would be in a place to where I can get to talk to people about money and hopefully inspire them to change their own lives. It'd be a dream come true for me. So, so absolutely. That's great. That's great. And so let's, let's go on to some of the sort of tangible things. So we spoke about the, you know, not everyone has the relationship with money. We, we certainly, some people, you know, it's not something you're taught at a young age, which seems almost odd that it's something that's so incredibly important and yet we don't get the education on it. And yet we'll be educated on things that most of us don't use in our adult life, right? Why do you think so many of us avoid learning about money? What do you think the main thing is or take the time? I think it's a couple of things. I think the fear of the unknown can be very detrimental for all of us. There's you know, there's a saying that everything new is difficult in the beginning. And I feel like that is something I say to clients on almost a daily basis that, you know, we get just scared to try new things in general. And I think a lot of us, especially the older we get, if we have, you know, these patterns, but also there's an overwhelming amount of information. And I think a lot of us are scared to make a mistake when it comes to money. I think a lot of us go to school and we're scared to try new things. We're scared to take risks and mistakes. And with money, there are mistakes to be made, absolutely. And so I think people are oftentimes so paralyzed, excuse me, at the thought of making a mistake that they almost don't even try to begin with. And I think I think that's a shame. I think if you can, you know, fail small and just, you know, make some small mistakes to begin with, um, pull the thread of your curiosity and see where it leads you. I think that, that can be a great place for people to start. 
yeah and, and I, with the conversations i have with people it's it's the feeling of i always say the enemy of execution is complexity mm. and money in and around money always feels very complicated very complex even with the, the amount of work and understanding i've done it still feels very complex uh, for me on top of that you understandably and no doubt people will have the feeling that well you see these economic crises happen. We, you know, we're in a bit of a sort of a situation globally now. We go back to 2008, go back to, to previous decades before that as well. And people wondering about the financial system and how it does it, you know, take advantage of us in some way, particularly. And then it's like, well, how do I know where to go to sort this all out? Do I go to the financial experts, but they're the ones that put us in this situation? Or what about this? How do you help people navigate that understanding of where's the best place to kind of keep your eyes open, what to be aware of, and so people can understand for themselves how they can develop some trust, which I'm sure is a helpful thing to do. How do you help people maybe understand that world? The phenomenal question. And I think I feel like I wish we had, I wish this was one of the three hour podcasts <laughs> that we could really dig in. We'll get you on Joe Rogan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that there's so much to unpack there. I think um, the short answer, and I'm glad to expand on this, is that ultimately we can only control what we can control. Yeah. And I think so often we, myself included, get paralyzed with all these things that are wrong with society or the world or the global economic systems in place. Um, I think a lot of it is, um, at least in the United States, you know, we've got uh, central banks, you know, our governments are printing more and more money, it devalues our money, um, it's currently going down in value. So what is, you know, someone to do? And I think ultimately, even going back to that first book I read, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the advice is to typically, you know, invest in assets and things that are growing in value or producing income or both, ideally. But I think that can feel overwhelming to people. And so I think just for some people, it's really just what is that first step that I can take to yeah. shore myself up financially? And maybe that's squirreling a little more money away in a savings account. Um, at the end of the day, you know, even as our money is, you know, going down in value for a lot of us, um, just because of the nature of, you know, inflation currently happening, at least in the States, uh, there's still actions that you can take that are better than doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what we have to sometimes lower the bar of what success looks like for ourselves. I, I know that I've wrestled with perfectionism for years. And I think sometimes it's saying, well, if I can't put in XYZ dollars or 500 or a thousand or $2,000 a month, it's almost pointless to even try. And that's the furthest thing from the truth, right? That's a complete lie. And if we can just take one baby step today, you know, the saying, get 1% better each day and apply that to our money. I think a lot of things can change for the better, including our stress going down, which is hard to put a price on. I'm glad you framed it like that, because when I work with people, for example, if they, you know, lots of people, especially post-COVID, for example, to go in a different direction, um, post-COVID people wanting to maybe grow their social circles or whether it's people want to meet an intimate partner or whatever else it might be, but feeling they're now in a world where, how on earth do I make these deeper connections with people? Mm -hmm. I always talk through there being five stages to building relationships with people. And it's know of you, know you, like you, trust you, help you. And people in their heads, while they don't know those five stages, they're ultimately trying to go from stage one to stage five in one jump. And that causes one of two things. Either you make that one jump and it's disorientating, overwhelming and puts off the other person. Or for most people, you go, that's too big a jump. So I'm not going to take any action. 
And I suppose what you're saying is very similar in the in the in the financial world, which is if you feel like you've got to jump from one to five immediately, then you're not going to take any action. Whereas if you can get to stage one and the, through the various stages, just stage one is progress. And I find that in sort of human psychology, it's not always about how much progress you make. It's just the feeling that you're consistently making some level of progress, even if it's very small. So you mentioned about, you know, a first baby step, something simple that people can get into. So could we get into some maybe key things that people could do that can actually simplify all of this in their mind that help um, streamline so they don't actually have to digest too much information? What's the process? What's some key steps that you would help people take to, to navigate to a, a better sort of, you know, a better financial situation? I'm thrilled to unpack this. This is what gets me so excited because I'll start with a little bit of the problem in the traditional yes. way of okay, doing things, yep. which is budgeting is typically step one. And I, sometimes for people, it just sends a shiver down their <laughs> spine, right? Like I've got to get face to face with these this money that I've spent on things that maybe I don't value as much as I thought I did, or you know, I, I bought the thing on sale and I had to return it and it was embarrassing or whatever. We have these kind of challenging relationships with money and ourselves and uh, wanting to do the right things and all of that, right? Uh, similar to dieting, I think can be an easy analogy. And so yeah. when it comes to budgeting, I think for me, it created this boom and bust cycle where I would get really excited and really motivated and do the budget or, you know, track all my spending on an app or a spreadsheet or something like that. And then I would fall off the wagon hard, like a, like a crash diet, right? And I think people treat their money like this so often. And so what I found to be the remedy is automation. And that sounds like a big, ooh, fancy word, but it's really super simple. I'll give a couple of examples that people can relate to. So imagine if you are working your job and you get paid on a Friday um, and then you had a choice, you could either you know, take that physical check, drive across town to the bank and then deposit it late on a Friday afternoon, or you could fill out a, a form and have it directly put into your checking account. I think most people choose the latter, right? And we have the same technology available to us in a variety of ways. The simplest is just through a bank transfer. And so what I help people do is set up these simple transfers that create a lot of positive behavioral change. And so I'll give a quick example. So really step one for 99% of the people I work with is separating their spending money from the rest of their financial world. So literally, it might sound very laughably simple, but just getting a different bank account, different from the one that you use to do everything else and separate that with a new account. So, you know, my wife and I, we have a joint checking account at a different institution and it's a different institution because the instant transfer between your savings account and your checking account is like this invisible line that you click one button and now you have access to your money. And so, so many people, the stat here in the US is that 69% of Americans have less than $1,000 saved. And it's tragic. And so I would absolutely argue that the reason is we don't have these you know, mechanisms to save us from ourselves. It's too easy. It's like going on a diet with you know, a room full of sweets you know, just tempting us day in and day out. And then we wonder why we fall off the wagon. So again, I suggest people open up that separate checking account and then just put a weekly amount of spending money there. And that week, weekly amount seems to be the key to make the behavioral change so much easier because as soon as you fall off the wagon, there's a new cash infusion coming 
you know, and then a day or two later, typically. So what we do is we have a transfer leave one bank on a Tuesday. It gets there maybe a Thursday, Friday, as we're going into the weekend, we buy our groceries. We have some money left over to go out to eat and do the things, buy the toiletries, those kind of basic spending things that happen. And then if we, you know, spend all that money a little too quickly, we have to maybe we say here, brown bag it, you know, pack your lunch, go into the office for a couple of days, and then your money's there again and a couple of days later. And so just starting that process off makes it easy for people to kind of behaviorally adhere to call it a budget, call it a spending plan, call it whatever you like. But if you can do that, and then the step two would be to automate all of your bills. You know, mm -hmm. we, I joke all the time that, you know, Netflix or some of these streaming services, they don't make you write a check to pay them. You click a button and yeah, then you pay yeah. the bill automatically, right? And so if we can do that with the rest of our bills, most of us can. There's occasionally a one-off that you have to solve for. But by separating your spending and then automating your bills, you're halfway there, in my opinion. I, I so with uh, with the work that I do, we we have content that goes out every single day on all these different social media platforms, and it's all automated. So you know we we set it up and it's done and it's sorted and that the value it, it provides greater value with the sort of less headache, less decline in energy and all of that stuff. And I just I just thinking of how many things in our life where whether it is you know weight loss or something else where a lot of the people I work with I, I, I'm very keen to get people to schedule what they do or the commitments they say they're going to make because unless something is scheduled and it might be something so basic where I'm talking or helping them with their sleep and I say right so when what time is this and they say well, what do you mean what time is it well it's got to be in the diary because you've got to schedule it the whole the whole next step of course of all of that is if you could automate it well you didn't even have to do the scheduling it just happened and i can totally buy into what you're saying that fundamentally that the simplest way to bring some level of ease but also to reduce a lot of stress is and for anyone listening yeah it might, maybe it does feel a bit uncomfortable to to face your financial situation currently and to look at it and part of the the avoidance of doing that is you're associating more pain with looking at your money rather than just pretending it's kind of not there but the consequences in terms of the short medium and long term pain are so much more severe that you just wake up and you realize there are all these strategies you can put in place if only you'd done them 20 years 10 years five years earlier wow what a great position you could be in and i, I take it that you, you probably agree with this lots of people get in the headspace of and i've worked with people who've made lots of money in their lives and people having the thought that well you have to make a lot of money to have a lot of money and that's actually very rarely the truth unless you get the other part of it right which is understanding how well you save it and how well you keep it and i i know that you quoted warren buffett's line which i've always loved as well about uh, paraphrasing about the um don't save after you spend spend after you've worked out to save um when you this when you break that all down for people and try and simplify it when people maybe are still feeling a bit resistant to change do you ever talk to them about the long the medium and long-term consequences of not taking action now and if so what are the medium and long-term consequences because i think people listening if they hear what those are might be thinking well, actually, yes, it is uncomfortable to look at my situation, but it's much, much better than 
what the, the alternative is. So what are the medium and long-term consequences of not doing some of this now? Absolutely. I think inflation is one of the things that helps us paint the picture. And I think it's helped a lot of people wake up to the reality of their situation because here in the US, you know, inflation's hovering, I don't know, maybe around 7% at the time of recording. Um, it's been as high as 9% and may, you know, we don't know the future. No one has a crystal ball. So the reality is that is that in any given year, it's about 3% here in the States, historically mm -hmm. on average. And what that literally means is that your purchasing power is eroded uh, by 3%. You lose 3% every single year. And so if people can begin to understand that reality, that begins to paint the problem for them in that, you know, for years in the States, you know, the savings rates for a savings account was, we would laugh almost 0.1%. And so if your money is losing 3%, but putting it in a savings account is only gaining 0.1%, where does that leave you? You're still going backwards, right? So imagine you know, extrapolating that problem over multiple decades and you're not you know, growing any of your money along the way, then that puts you in a very tough position because here in the US, we have what's called social security, which is not really intended to replace all of your income. It's only gonna replace a fraction of your income in the long term. And so theoretically, if you don't ever invest or save enough money, then you will theoretically never retire and you'll have to work until the day that you die. And in the best case scenario, maybe that's in your sleep. Uh, on the last day, you are physically capable of working. But for so many people, unfortunately, that's not the reality. You know, health conditions deteriorate. Uh, you can be in a very, very tough predicament if you don't take the bull by the horns, so to speak and begin to get your money right. But the good thing is, you know, through automation, through, I think just this anti-perfectionism mentality is if you just start smaller than you think. I love to use the analogy of like flossing. If maybe you're not a great flosser, you know, lowering the standard of success and say, it's day one, I'm just gonna floss one tooth. Yeah. And it's silly, right? We laugh about it, but the reality is you get in there, oh, this isn't so bad, I'm gonna, probably get all of your teeth flossed, right? The first time. And so that's an easy way to incrementally build a habit. And if we can use automation to outsource the behavior needed to build these habits, then we're halfway there. And if we just, you know, take the second action and just start laughably smaller than we think when it comes to saving and investing, literally maybe $10, maybe something like that to start out with, and then what I love to tell people to do is just to set a, rem a reminder on your smartphone yeah, because yeah. We're drowning in to-dos and tasks every single day. And so if you can outsource that as well, then the reminder kicks in maybe a month later and says, maybe can we do $15 this month? Yeah. And then just slowly dial that up until, um, you know, because we, we want to not experience the pain associated with adopting the new behavior, ideally. I, the, the thing you said about the flossing one tooth and it being uh, laughably simple, uh, it reminds me of a story um i think it was with the lakers i know it wasn't who was it was, uh, basically uh, one of the nba teams in the i think it must have been the early 90s or late 80s uh they'd just lost in the nba finals the year before by one point and the head coach the next year said to all the players i want you all to improve by 50 percent and they they were sort of tanking at the beginning of the season. They were just doing terribly. And the head coach went to go and speak to someone. 
And he said, I, I don't understand. I've asked them all to improve by 50% and we're playing worse. They're, they're all playing terribly. So what's happened? And this person said to Hickard, well, you've asked them to do more than they think they can do. And what that is, is crossing their threshold of belief. They've he said so and he said so just remind me you lost you lost the NBA final but what how much they said one point so they put in their blood sweat and tears and they lost by one point and now you're asking them to improve by 50 percent again it's just not going to happen so he said he told the head coach I want you to go back and apologize to all of them I want you to apologize say you should never have asked them to improve by 50 percent go in and say I just want you to improve by one percent I just need you, each of you, to improve by one percent. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to do more because I'm not sure if we, I'm not sure if we can or if you, if you can. And he said, "Imagine what that's like saying to a group of competitive athletes, I only need you to improve by one percent because I'm not going to ask you to do more because ultimately we're not sure if we can do that at the moment." All these athletes are standing around going, "I can. What are you doing? Of course I can do that." And they all end up improving by five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten percent. So that thing you're saying about making it laughably simple, but also for anyone listening. The part of that principle is people often set themselves targets where it's like, oh, I could do that. No, when I work with someone, I get them to set a target where they're 100% certain because confidence in taking action ultimately is just certainty. Absolute. So not maybe I could do certainty until you can prove to me or prove to yourself that you can absolutely, absolutely do that on a consistent basis, then then you can make decisions after that to get get yourself moving. And I think, especially in finance, the thing everyone's looking for is absolute certainty. Now, you don't have certainty in the markets and this, this, this. You do have certainty in creating very simple, small actions, presumably, that at least get you moving and gets you more financially confident. Now, that's one principle you've spoken about, maybe increasing confidence in finances. Is there anything else you said about flossing one tooth? Is there anything else that can create the same level of certainty, some confidence that people might have about how they feel about money or how they understand money? Is there anything else that you would say is a good way to develop some confidence? Because I think people lack the certainty and confidence in themselves. It might be, I don't understand this stuff, but do I trust myself to, to take some good action? So how can people maybe improve their confidence around money? Absolutely. I think, <clears throat> I think education is what really breeds confidence around money as understanding how it works, some of the basics. And one uh, that comes to mind is Parkinson's law. I'm sure you're familiar with the concept and it's often applied to work. And Parkinson's law states that, you know, work expands to fill the time allowed. So if we've got two weeks to do a project, it'll take us two weeks. If we have one week to do the project, we're going to figure out how to get it done. Yeah. Right. And I think in the same way, I like to think of money as like this gas, this evaporating. If we just have, I call it like the slush fund. If you have a checking account and a savings account on the same bank, it's very hard to get clear on what is going on and what's coming in and what's going out. You have a $5,000 income month or a $10,000 income month. Very difficult to discern how to manage that differently and what behaviors to take. And so I think by understanding that if I do nothing, the money will get spent. I think that's the basis of understanding to where you can begin to take different actions and shore yourself up. So again, I think that to me goes back to the separating the spending account, um, doing these things that behaviorally just make good behavior very easy and the default versus 
you know, in this other scenario, I've got to budget everything out to the penny. So I have some understanding of what's going in and what's required of me, you know, to get from this month to the next month without mm -hmm. overdrafting or without, you know, going into the negative or anything like that. And so I think that's where it really begins. And then just continuing to pull that thread of curiosity and beginning to learn more about money, about the markets, about ways that you can protect yourself and outsource different parts of your financial life um, to make these good behaviors easy and make uh, better outcomes automated in, in my in my experience so i'd like to i'd like to touch on um go back to sort of your your uh, personal experience with money and you know people i remember it's Ziglar once said money won't make you happy but everybody wants to find out for themselves and you know money plays such an important part of the world and there's, there's sort of no point you know ultimately you get to a certain amount of money and it doesn't continually increase your happiness but everyone wants to get to a certain level so that they can live their the life with a, a level of comfort for you personally andy you know when we talk about money people worry about deep down the effect it has on their relationships the effect it has on their health and and the other consequences how is your relationship with money understanding money better how has that benefited you, you personally in terms of your health and your relationships with people absolutely i think stress reduction is the number one way that that's helped me personally um you see that i've got a lot of gray hair for a 38 year old and i you know joked that that was when i was you know trying to cut my teeth as a financial advisor and kind of build this business from scratch and all of that uh two kids are certainly adding to it but I think having the automation um, in place has allowed me to shift my focus. And so almost thinking of it from like a hierarchy of needs standpoint, you know, when our brains are bogged down, I mean, I, you think about like a Mark Zuckerberg or some of these tech CEOs that they wear the exact same thing every day because that decision fatigue is so painful that they want to free up any bandwidth they possibly can. And so I really think that the whole automating your money does that. And it really liberates you to get out of the granular day to day of just trying to survive and live, you know, one paycheck to the next to being able to zoom out and think bigger picture of what else is possible in your life as it relates to money. You know, maybe I don't have to take this job that is sucking my life away because I can afford to go to do something else. And so even in my own life, you know, I was, in the corporate world for a long time in the personal you know financial services space but i realized that i am fiercely independent and i want to do my own thing and i want to work for myself and all those things so all of that has kind of culminated to um affecting my life uh for the positive by making some of these changes by automating things by you know knowing that so i'll give a few examples from my personal life as a married person especially that you know we've got i mentioned the spending accounts uh almost ad nauseum but we have this kind of joint account that takes care of our groceries and our kind of mostly our like day-to-day -day stuff, right? Groceries, going out to eat, the toiletries and those kind of things that most of us have to buy in a given week. And just by knowing that that money is going to be there, you know, every week, that is, um, you know, a threshold of stress. It is, I don't have to think about, I don't have to worry about the money is going to be there. And that enables us to just enjoy it and feel guilt-free about these decisions as we make, because we know that specifically as it relates to 
groceries. And I think going out to eat is a big problem for people that are, maybe things are tight. You know, you want to go out to the restaurants and have a good time and not feel guilty. Like I'm putting this on a credit card. I'm going into debt for this. And how am I going to pay this off or things like that? And so we just know that if we just do a good job at the grocery store, we're going to have some money left over and we're going to be able to go to eat and not feel guilty about it. And so that is just like one example. And then my wife and I have our own spending accounts that we're able to you know, use that money um, how we see fit. For me, it's usually grabbing a drink with my friends or something like that. And my wife will squirrel all of her money, money away and then end up going on a, you know, a clothing shopping spree, as it seems. But I think that just being able to know that the bills are going to be, if I do nothing, the bills are paid, our money is where it needs to be, you know, money's getting invested automatically, it's optimized for investing behavior. And I can just go live my life and have these, you know, conversations with you and, you know, go kind of do my day to day tasks. And all of that is taken care of if I do nothing. So that has been an extremely liberating position for me personally. What sort of uh, what sort of hobbies and things do you like to do? So now you've got that sort of level of liberation, freedom, you can go out on podcasts, you can you can sort of uh, share it, you know, share maybe advice more widely with people, etc. Um, what do you like to do outside of work? Thank you. Yes, I feel like self improvement is my hobby, it feels like so I'm in the gym, you know, ideally five days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, lifting weights, and then Tuesday, Thursday, I'm on the bike for about 30 minutes, just to kind of get out of my own head. Um, obviously, you know, I want to take care of my body as I'm, you know, getting older and things like that. But man, I just know that the mental and emotional benefits of that are magnanimous uh, for me personally, and that enable me to, you know, continue to take other stresses down, um, to be present with my family and friends and things like that. So I love that. Um, I'm playing the drums, probably every day if I can help wow. it. Yeah, so that's been really fun. And uh, if you're familiar with them um, from a productivity standpoint, like the Pomodoro technique of you know, maybe working for 40 minutes, and I'm, I'm sure I'm getting the numbers horribly wrong, but, you know, working for a chunk, taking a break. And so that's been, I add that into the mix. And that's been really fun for me as having a creative outlet that happens to be a stress reducer, because I'm, you know, banging these things really hard. And that gets me excited. So that's most of it. But I'm frankly, I'm working to grow my own business now. And so that's a big endeavor. I'm working certainly not eight hours a day every day, but working about six days a week, um, and that's been a very good rhythm for me. Whereas when I was in corporate America, um, I could not wait to get out of the office the second five o'clock came around and I'd be running to my car. But now I love what I do and I'm choosing to spend my free time learning and growing and you know educating myself on different marketing strategies or how to effectively communicate you know, these concepts to help as many people as I possibly can. So not sure if that counts as a hobby, but I feel like that's my life right now for sure. your, your hobbies are what you love to do so absolutely and i i, I would love mm. to hear if you if there's one that you can share with um with the relevant discretion maybe a story of someone that you've been able to help them with their situation where maybe where they started off whether it's an individual or a company or whoever started off in a particular predicament particular situation with certain sets of fears and anxieties and stresses and how actually they would be able to turn some of that around into a position where, as you said, it did for you, remove some of that stress. You you knew your money is opti optimized. 
that someone that you've worked with where we could really connect and relate to that story mm. of, of someone you've been able to help turn around? Is there one that you could springs to mind for you? Absolutely. So I've got a guy that, um, so I, I play drums at my church here locally and we've got a handful of musicians that are on rotation. And so I ended up working with a guy um, here that um, he plays guitar and ultimately he's a single guy. He's got some debt. Uh, he had at the same time squirreled away a good chunk of savings and oftentimes, at least, you know, a lot of financial people will say, well, hey, that's a complete waste of time. And if you've got all this money in savings, but you're paying, you know, 20% in interest on a credit card, then it doesn't make sense. And you need to just liquidate your savings and pay off all the debt, right? And so I think he really wrestled with this concept because that money was security to him specifically. Mm -hmm. And he, I think like most of us have kind of the, you know, one checking account, everything's all commingled and you don't know what's what. And so in working with him over several weeks and months, we were able to help separate and parse these things out to where he had more clarity. We did take a chunk of the savings to pay down some debt, give a little more breathing room. But um, he tapped me on the shoulder the last time we played together to say that he had a few thousand dollars accumulated by no extra effort on his mm -hmm. part. Um, and he's um, plays some as a side musician and some other bands and things like that, in addition to his normal job. But we kind of set up a you know, a, a business account for this kind of side hustle, if you will, um, and set it up in a way to where once certain income comes in, you're paying yourself a salary that then automatically goes into the rest of your kind of personal financial system. And so in doing so with no additional effort, no need for that perfect behavior, he realized, oh, I've got a few thousand dollars saved without any effort. And to me, that was a very eye-opening moment to see kind of that stress go down for him that I didn't have to like work harder or sometimes in American culture, we talk about like, I'll oh, just hustle harder. Yeah. And oftentimes that's not the remedy that people need. I, I, that last point you just made absolutely. I used to, maybe you felt the same at one point, um, but in my, in my twenties, I would, uh, well, so the, uh, my early twenties, I uh, probably three or four or five years would, I was working corporate affairs and I do the eight hours at work, but I knew ultimately the business that I have now, I wanted to build that. So I do eight hours when I got home as well. And that was pretty much every single day for maybe four or five years. Um, then I had to eventually pull back a little bit because it was too much, but it was still ridiculous amounts of hours. Just because everything you read and see online is grind, hustle, this, that, and the other. At the end of the day, if you are if your energy level is down at 50% and the reality is many of us aren't even anywhere near hundred percent anyway. So down at 10%, then the, the, how much longer it takes you to do everything, how much uh, less enjoyable it all is, how much, um, how poor the execution then is. It just takes longer. It doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense, but we have a, such a, a desperation for that instant gratification so we do things at a speed and a pace which is either unsustainable or also just leads to bad performance and you won't get the results anyway well until i slowed the whole thing down that actually i thought there's not so much that needs to be done here so what you're saying that in that story and changing some of those beliefs a little bit and helping your you know letting the money do the work essentially um you realize you don't have to constantly work hard really really you know well over the top too hard all the time and all the people who post hustle and things like that on social media 
you know, they posted it and then a lot of them are just, they're not, they're not even hustling. They're, they're, you know, their team is hustling for them or, or they're not in that moment, work, whatever. So it is a very good point you just made. And I want people to listen to that, which is say, you know, you work smart, but much more important is having the requisite energy level with enough sleep and well hydrated, good diet. You work out pretty much every day. So do I and getting those fat foundations, right? Because it just allows you to do things slower, more simply and then actually improve the execution of the whole thing and ironically you get things done quicker so i really like that point yes before i get on to what maybe sort of my final question that i wanted to ask you today i appreciate you sharing that story so i know that you have a, a very simple course that people can use to take some of these sort of foundational principles that we've, we've spoken about today uh, but that they can actually do it for themselves. So they don't have to sort of worry about having long conversations. They don't have to worry about someone trying to explain things in, in huge amounts of detail. There's someone out there who's trying to some, you know, somewhat democratize the whole thing and, and make it more accessible and available to people. So I know you've got your sort of um, automatic money flow sort of process. I know you've got automaticmoneyflow.com as well, where people can learn more. Can you just tell us a little bit more about what that course looks like and why you put it together? Absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, I put it together because I feel like these things can be easier than people think. And I spent, you know, spun my wheels for years and years, as I mentioned, kind of doing the budgeting and like looking for the perfect solution to this problem that I was having of I had what I thought all the head knowledge in the world, you know, from being in financial services for a decade, from reading everything I could from blogs, to pod, you know, podcasts, YouTube, going down every rabbit hole I could find to learn everything about money and feeling like something was missing that my own behavior wasn't matching with my learning and feeling like budgeting was that squeaky wheel that was holding me back or just making it extremely painful to the point where I would have like chest pains and I would be like super stressed out at the thought of like, okay, I've got to try to find another budgeting solution and maybe this one will work for me. So I say that to say, you know, I kind of created it for young Andy um, and I think so many people can resonate with this feeling of like, I want to get it together. I know that I should be doing something different. You know, we don't have to have it perfect, but just finding a way to kind of get ahead with money. And so I, I've discovered over time that automation really does make this so much easier. And the barrier to entry is so low. I mean, everyone has an online ch checking account these days, right? Um, you can set up a few transfers and kind of get on with it. But you don't have to have a master's level understanding of personal finance to get ahead. You know, investing, all these democratization of these things is becoming more and more available. Sometimes the hardest part is finding one place to kind of get all the information you need to make those changes. So long-winded answer, but that that's that's the reality. I think so many people have the capacity, whether they believe it about themselves or not, mm -hmm. they absolutely have the capacity to be really good with money if they have the right systems in place. And I'll uh, end with this quote from uh, James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits that, you know, people don't rise to the level of their goals, they fall to the level of their systems. And I think with money, that's absolutely, absolutely the case. Yeah, that, I think that that is the perfect quote for uh, for what we're describing in this situation. So thank you for that. Um, so uh, before I get to my final question, so uh, automaticmoneyflow.com, if anyone wants to get in contact with you, Andy, where's the best place for them to reach you? Absolutely. You can go to the homepage, which is andyhoffman.me. That's Andy, H-O-F-F-M-A-N.me. All the social links there are at the bottom. You can certainly shoot me an email at hi at andyhoffman.me. 
uh, absolutely love to connect with you there. Fantastic. Okay. So final thing I'd like to ask you. So when I speak with people, a uh, very common question or thing I want them to think about is when you, I tell this story of, um, you know, two boys growing in poverty and they see a sign on a post and it says, if you want to be a great leader, um, meet me at the beach at 5am tomorrow. So they both go to the beach at 5am and um, elderly woman walks over and says, you both here to be great leaders. And they say, yes. And she goes to the first boy. Okay. I want you to walk as far down the beach as possible. So he starts walking and he walks about two miles, does pretty well. And then he's exhausted. And he says to the, he says to the woman, you know, why are we doing this? I don't understand the point of it. Um, I'm, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And she goes, no, keep walking. And he's going, no, but you're not telling me why we're doing this. And they get into an argument. He goes, no, screw this. And he goes home. So she goes to the second boy, goes back to the star and says to the second boy, I want you to walk as far down the beach as possible. So he walks about a mile and then collapses in exhaustion. And he says, I, I can only walk a mile. I'm, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I couldn't even walk as far as the other boy. So how am I ever going to be a good leader? She said, no, just keep going. She draws a line in the sand in front of him and she just says, what are you going to do now? He gets up and he takes 10 more footsteps and then collapses in exhaustion again. And he says, I don't understand what is the point of all of this. And she said, I wanted to know at the moment you collapsed in exhaustion and I drew that line in front of you, what are the footprints you're going to leave them? I don't care how far you walked in the first place. I wanted to see when you're exhausted, how many footprints you're going to leave there for other people to follow. The point I'm making and the question I want to get to is, at some point, we leave footprints for various people and those people are going to look at those footsteps and, and try and follow them. And we get to decide what those footsteps ultimately are for people, um, whether it's now or much later in our life. So, Andy, what footprints do you ultimately want to leave for other people, do you think? Mm, powerful question. I think that you are capable of doing more with your money than you ever thought possible. And thankfully the heavy lifting can be taken by the robots. You know, you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have the perfect financial plan, but you can leverage this tool called money via automation and live a life that you maybe didn't think was possible if you set things up the right way. So that's kind of my battle cry. That's what I'm hoping to put out in the world. And inspire other people to to live the life that they they truly dream about that's great andy thank you very much for your time today thank you david